Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Genesis of Startups, where we interview brilliant minds in entrepreneurship to explore what it's really like to start a business. Today, we have Nicole Bushkevich, founder and CEO of the multi-award-winning tech startup Advocate, a political engagement platform that uses data and technology to help shape better public policy. With a background in politics and government relations, Nicole spotted the gap in the market in 2016 and has pretty much bootstrapped the business which had become profitable since day one. Advocate now has around six staff members and counts many well-known organizations such as UNICEF, Coca-Cola, and AGL as customers. So good to have you on the show, Nikki. Thanks for having me, Will. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. So I am a former Sydney uni student. I (laughs) also walked the halls of this university here a little while back now, but I was in my final year of studying media and communications when I had the opportunity to work for an MP. It's actually a a lawyer friend of my my parents who'd who'd recently become elected to the Legislative Council in, in New South Wales here and he was looking for uni students to sort of help out around the office. Had a law student helping out with bills, yeah. political science and students doing all sorts of party things. And he said, you know, why don't you come on and help out with some of the comms side of things? So my dad always said never to say no to a good opportunity. And even though I knew very little about politics <laughs> at the time, I thought I better give this a go. It sounds like an opportunity worth pursuing. So I started out as an intern working for this MP, like one day a week. And over six years or six years later, I should say, I ended up working for uh, ministers and premiers in New South Wales and somehow ended up being a full-blown political advisor. Yeah, wow. So it, it kind of became one thing led to the next Very much so, yes. Yeah, yes. and I suppose the, the natural assumption is that this experience that you had at the beginning fed into to how you founded Advocate. Very much so. It's all been this interesting, evolving journey, which has been really incredible. After six years working in government and politics, I felt like I wanted to try something a little bit entrepreneurial. Hmm. My mum was a former diplomat. And so, you know, I did my time working in government and my dad was an entrepreneur and a businessman. I thought, all right, now it might be time to... <laughs> that worked out well. It worked out well. And I thought, all right, I've done the government thing. Maybe it's now time to go and try my hand at business. So after spending some time working in government relations, uh, so after I left politics, I worked for some regulated companies as part of their government relations teams. After that, I thought it would be great to try my hand at, at running a business and started Advocate shortly after. Yeah, brilliant. So we mentioned before that Advocate counts many well-known organizations as customers. So at the beginning then, without much business acumen, how does a startup sell to giants, especially without a well-known name? I'd say your network can count for a lot Mm. when you're first starting out. So we didn't have contacts at Uniting or AGL or Diageo or any of these big organizations. So when we first started out, it was me picking up the phone and seeing which of my former colleagues would come and (laughs) grab a coffee with me so I could tell them about Advocate, so I could pick their brains, so I could get them to do a trial. And it was through that process of really knocking on doors and being present and visible and, I guess, networking that we slowly started to build a bit of a a brand and reputation around Advocate 
which was great. And then we found a few early customers and I think all three of them, yeah, they're still with us today, four years on. And those three customers were such a great fit. They really loved mm. the product. They, you know, gave us consistently consistent feedback. They helped us grow and they also helped to spread the word. And so having those early customers start to sort of tell other people that, hey, there's this little company here yeah. <laughs> that's actually doing something really valuable and really helpful. You guys should check them out. I think that definitely helped us to connect with some of those bigger players. Absolutely. And I mean, a great product sells itself. Isn't that true? When you have a product that essentially matches what your customers are looking for and they start talking to everybody else, you know that you've got something that solves a real problem. I liked what you said before about just grabbing a coffee with your network and essentially picking their brains. Something that I want to know, though, is that one of the biggest problems that I had at the beginning with my own startup, Paper Pens Co., was feeling like a used car dealer. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely relate to that feeling. Definitely in the early days when you're just thinking, wow, like what if they say no? You know, what are people going to think if I'm just, if they just think I'm here just to sell to them? But I think a couple of things. The first is, that people are generally pretty happy to have a chat with you. And if you position the conversation you're having with people, not so much around, hey, I want to sell you this thing, but hey, we should chat because there could be some mutual benefits here on both sides, then I think people are, are actually quite willing to sit down and have a chat. Any startup founder should always be treating any conversation or any interaction with prospective customers or just people in the industry as an opportunity to learn. Mm. Because really, that is what you need to do to have a successful business. You need to really understand the customer's pain points and challenges. And I think that when people feel like they've been listened to and that you understand them, then having a conversation that could lead to a sale comes more naturally. So I suppose a big part of your ability to grow advocate was because you had experience working in the industry yourself. So from there, you were able to meet a lot of people and potential customers. But for someone, say, who doesn't have such a big network, how can they grow their business? I think it just means you have to work a little harder at putting yourself out there. Hmm. I think it means finding a list of people who you would love to have a chat with. And it can be your university professor through to Richard Branson, honestly, like just write a list of as many people as you can and approach them and reach out to them, you know, on LinkedIn, try and find an email online or through a mutual connection. And in a very non-used car salesman type approach, just ask if they're interested in having a chat, mm. explain what you're doing explain why you think it might be interesting or helpful to that person. Mm. And you'll find a lot of the time people are actually quite willing to sit down and have a chat, even if they'd never met you or even heard about you before. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. So I like what you said about from your university professor to Richard Branson, because it really goes to show how connected we are, because say you may not have the, the biggest network out there but if you know one to two people they may know one to two people and just having the simple 
hey, do you want to have a chat with me? That could lead to a lot of great opportunities, especially when you're starting out. I couldn't agree more. And I think like actual sales, it is a bit of a numbers game as Mm. well. The more you put yourself out there, the more you're going to get back. So I'd say just keep at it and you'll probably see some results. Absolutely. So I know that reality is not as straightforward as it may be to send a message and have a coffee to pick a brain. For example, you just can't pick up the phone and you're just not confident in your ability to, you know, maybe be able to ask the right questions or what would you say about confidence? You can build confidence. The more you do something, the easier it gets. Hmm. So even though it sometimes feels like you're standing on the edge of a precipice looking down going, no, I can't jump. I'm not going to pick up that phone. (laughs) There's no way I'm doing a call call. So I've definitely been there. The fact is, if you do something, if you do cross that fear threshold, it becomes easier and less scary. And you might even find that you become pretty good at it. Hmm. A good example was when I got inspired to try cold calling. (laughs) (laughs) So I planned my script out, you know, thought about what I was going to say, practiced it a couple of times and pick up the phone and go, hey, my name's Nicole, we haven't met. I run a software company that helps organizations like yours have better engagement with government. Could we schedule a time in a few weeks to have a chat? And this person said, look, now's not a good time to chat. <laughs> As they do. As they do. I thought they were about to hang up on me, but they said, look, shoot me an email. Here's my email address and we'll tee something up. And that organization is now a customer and probably one of the most successful and prolific users of the platform. Mm. And I tried cold calling a few times and I must say that it's scary. It was scary at Mm. the beginning and it's still scary now, but it is incredibly effective at the same time. So sometimes you've got to put yourself out there, sort of get over the fear, knowing that at the end of the day, what you're doing is probably going to be helpful for your business. Yeah. And I mean, the old adage, just do it really. Yeah, just do it. Yeah. Got nothing to lose. I want to go back to what you said before about your first three customers were, have been your customers for the last four years. Is there a difference between sales with a new customer and customers that you have already with you? Yes, it is. Although that being said, I sort of try and keep our existing customers like new customers because Mm. they incredibly valuable for a number of reasons. You know, they're, they're repeat customers. They renew every year. And they're obviously using the platform very well. Otherwise, they probably wouldn't be sticking around for too long. So what we call customer success is really important to us. You know, we regularly check in with customers, make sure that they're still getting value from the product, getting feedback from them. It's actually one of the most valuable things, being able to get feedback from existing customers Mm. because they're close to the product and they're going to be brutally honest with you. You know, they'll tell you what they love, but they'll also tell you in quite some detail around all these little things that, you know, sometimes you don't even realize that could be done better or improved. So it's incredibly valuable. So keeping in touch with those customers, keeping them happy is, yeah, just as important, if not more important than going out and finding new business. Yeah, I really liked what you said about treating your existing customers as new customers, because sometimes it's hard especially when you start to get a bit familiar or maybe take them for granted and end up just forgetting them. Yeah, do so at your own peril. 
Yeah. <laughs> so what are some of the common mistakes that people make when trying to sell their Nikki? I'd say one of the most common pitfalls is underestimating the number of decision makers that are often involved in purchasing a product. Mm, that's a really good point. Yeah, you sort of think, all right, well, there's this particular person or this particular organization that is going to be a user of the platform and they said they want it. So it's a done deal, right? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Definitely not a done deal. That is usually the beginning of potentially a very long process that involves, I think, on average, 5.4 different decision makers. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. So, you know, aside from that one person who's going to be potentially your end user, you might have to deal with procurement because large enterprises, especially and bigger companies, have procurement teams. You might need to negotiate some terms that might involve legal. If you're in technology space, you might need to bring in the IT team who will do some security assessments. Mm. And so I know when I first started out, I grossly underestimated how many people would have to be involved and therefore how many people you'd need to get over the line. And so, again, it comes down to, I think, really understanding your customer and understanding the organization and trying to know all the unknown unknowns because Often in B2B sales, the deal is much more complex than you might initially think. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think a lot of people do face that problem with you're talking with someone and they may not even be the end decision maker. And as you mentioned, there are 5.4 people that you actually need to go through before someone could potentially be a customer. So then what does discovering the unknown unknown entail? It's a good question. What is really helpful in identifying the unknown unknowns is having an internal champion. Hmm. So you've got all these different decision makers, but hopefully you've also got that one person, maybe it's that person that ends up being the end user and the user of your product who just loves what you do and loves your product and is just super excited about it. If you can get them to help you maneuver through this complicated process, they can be a real ally in helping you get a deal over the line. Yeah. They'll be able to tell you, hey, you'll need to go and speak with our IT team. You should speak with so-and-so. Our company takes, you know, security really seriously. So a heads up, you might get some grueling questions from this person or our legal team is really focused on, you know, harmonizing contracts across Mm. customers. If you have those sorts of insights and if you've got someone like this internal champion helping you steer the course, it can be incredibly helpful and hopefully also help speed up the deal cycle if you've got those long, complicated. Yeah, and I can see the benefits of having that internal champion because all organizations have their own idiosyncrasies. So how do we get someone to advocate your product? I think it starts with finding what is sometimes called your ideal customer, finding your sweet spot. Mm. So it actually starts much earlier in the sales cycle, I think, which is when you decide who you're going to go out and sell to, who you're going to approach, who is your ideal customer. So you probably would have heard of buyer personas before where you pull together a profile of a particular person Hmm. that will buy from you. 
in B2B sales, you might want to do the same for an organization, which is where the ideal sort of company profile, if you will, comes in. So what is the organization like based on size, based on revenue, where they're located? If you can start to build this profile of your ideal customer, then you can focus your efforts in this sweet spot because you know a company with those traits will benefit most from your product. Mm. So if you invest time in identifying your sweet spot and Mm. your ideal customer profile, it actually makes it much easier to go and have conversations with people you're selling to because the product market fit becomes much more clear, right? And then you'll find those people who will get excited about that and will hopefully become those internal champions to help you steer the course internally. Yeah, I get your point. At a big picture, it's have you even got the right organization? But then I suppose you can get even more complicated than that in that you could find in this organization who would love your product the most. It reminds me of the story of Dropbox, how they essentially marketed it to the people inside an organization. And then those people in turn convinced their supervisors to adopt Dropbox. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. It's amazing. So, so far, Nikki, we've been talking a lot about B2B sales. Would you say that B2C sales is any different? I'm sure there are some principles that would apply to B2B as much as B2C. Mm. One of those is content marketing, Mm. which I think can be really powerful because I know in B2C, oftentimes you're wanting to get as much traffic to your site or app store or whatever it is as as possible. And so the way you do that is by having good SEO or a good marketing plan, right? So in that regard, I think having some kind of marketing plan is important because when you're not doing the cold calls, (laughs) you don't want to do the cold calls, you should have a process in place for getting some inbound leads Mm. and inbound traffic. So one of the things that we've been doing at Advocate since day one is a regular blog on topics that of interest to our industry. It might be things that are happening in politics or in parliament that day, Mm. content that doesn't even often mention Advocate, but just, (laughs) you know, interesting things that people would generally want to read about and potentially sign up to the newsletter. And that over time has had a lot of benefit for us because it's meant that SEO is just naturally really strong. So when people search for us, they can find us easily. And it also means that we're sort of starting to nurture some potential future customers because there could be some great sweet spot customers out there who just aren't ready to buy. But if they're engaging with Advocate, if they're reading content, if they're reading our blogs, coming to our website, there might be a point in time where it makes sense for them to reach out for a demo and Mm. and kick off the whole process so yeah awesome well thank you so much for being a guest here on the genesis of startups nikki it was so great to have you talk about sales and essentially how to build relationships with your customers to our listeners i hope that you found it valuable if you'd like to learn more about the genesis of startups or about nicole or advocate feel free to drop us a line on linkedin facebook or twitter until next time